0: Launched exactly back in 2005. They've now scaled up to over 1,400 customers, using them to manage sales plans to kind of gamify the solution for reps so that they understand what all the upside is and really keep them motivated. You know, more people hit their quotas, I imagine, if they're using it exactly than if they're not. They have about 400 reps on average per 1,400 of those logos. So doing, call it somewhere in the $16 million per month range because each seat is about 30 bucks. He grew it up to 2015 and about up to about 100 million bucks in annual sales before and raised about 86 million prior to that, then took it public, raised about 50 net million on day one, $8 share price, grew it for two years and then realized there were serious advantages to being private, reignited a conversation with Vista. And I'm sure some other folks as well ultimately sold the Vista at a great exit price of 16 bucks per share or 560 million, uh, doing again, north of 100 million at that point. So healthy exit now focused on acquisitions, a longer term plan and staying focused on growing the business. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Chris Cabrera. He's the CEO of Exactly Corporation. He's a seasoned executive with more than two decades of successful senior management experience in both early stage and public companies. He's a noted industry expert in issues relating to sales performance management, sales compensation, commission, employee engagement, incentive compensation, benchmarking, big data, and SaaS delivery models. Chris, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. All right, man. Great to be here. You bet. So tell us more about exactly, and then I want to understand how you got involved with the company. It sounds like you might have come in later after the founder. So tell us what the company does first, and then we'll get into the
1: other stuff later. Yeah, I'm actually the founder. So I started the company oh, right from the get-go. Yeah. Okay. And so, so what does it do? So exactly is in the uh, sales performance management space. So you think about every company you've ever worked for or uh, sold to, there's people in the company that sell their wares, whether it be services or widgets or uh, whatever it might be. And they pay those people commission. And uh, the vast majority of the world today uh, is doing it on Excel and exactly was created to uh, create software to help drive the, the millions and millions of dollars that people pay and use to pay. Uh, compensation out uh, to get those reps to sell more stuff or discount less or sell fries with a shake, whatever whatever the case might be.
0: So, of course, is this more of a management platform for the X's and O's or an actual gamified kind of system to increase performance?
1: Well, it's both. So, you know, you can imagine if you're a company uh, and you're paying out millions of dollars. And just to give you a sense, a, a small company that's paying 200 salespeople, you know, you might be talking about a $20 million cost center, uh, for commission. So it's a big dollar amount. So management needs all kinds of reporting to understand how, how those dollars are being used, how effectively they're being used. Clearly, you have the whole dangling carrot you know, notion. So the idea that today's modern day dangling carrot is the cell phone, right? And so the idea that you can dangle that in front of the rep in real time every day um, to get them to sell more stuff, that, that there's really a behavioral component to this and for the salespeople themselves, the ability to log into Salesforce.com and be seeing the deal they're working on and have a little button that says, if I sell this deal, this is how much commission I'm going to earn. Yeah. You can begin to think about the, uh, the ways that you can drive behavior. And so That's it's right. a behavioral tool. It's a management tool. It covers all the boxes. And pure SaaS model? 100% SaaS. Interesting. Okay,
0: so without going down every different customer cohort, on average, what's customer paying you per month.
1: On average, it's about thirty dollars per rep per month.
0: Oh, good. Okay, so even a even a you know new sales team starting out could really get cranked up on you guys.
1: Absolutely, we've got we've got fourteen hundred customers. Our customers are uh, include companies that have fifteen, twenty reps, all the way up to fifteen thousand or more reps.
0: Would you say the average is probably what around thirty reps, something like that?
1: No, I'd say the average is closer to 400 or 500. Oh wow! Okay, so so
0: you have a long tail of users, but it sounds like you have maybe 80 percent of your revenue is made up by teams larger than 100 paying you.
1: Definitely, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because we do a lot of we do a lot of big uh, companies. You know, uh, LinkedIn, Salesforce.com. You know, these they, these companies pay 100 percent of their salesforces using our, our tool, um, and you know, many many others. You know, these are huge. We. It's a very horizontal app because when you think about comp, you know, we, we pay Hyatt, for example. If you walk into a Hyatt anywhere in the world to plan your wedding, those wedding planners are paid through exactly. We pay bank tellers where you walk in to make a deposit. They get you to walk 10 feet to a loan agent and they get a spiff. Uh, we pay thousands of people in Australia at the Australia Post Office uh, because they hang a shingle that says, you know, we sell and collect stamps and, you know, collect mail. And and to, them, to us, that looks kind of like a sales rep. Um, so it's very, very broad based app.
0: So with 1400 logos paying you and 400 reps per logo on average, I mean, I think that comes out to what, 560,000 seats, something like that. And at 30 bucks a month, I mean, that puts your revenue at like 16.8 million a month. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, you're in the right ballpark. Yeah. I mean, we were recently public. Um, uh, we took the company public in 2015, uh, we then sold it to Vista about seven, eight months ago. And, you know, we were, you know, north of a hundred million dollars at that time. Yeah, We don't talk about the revenue now as a private company again, but that was uh, 2016. Sorry. When did you sell to Vista? Uh, we sold to Vista in 2017 in July of uh, 2017.
0: Okay. Got it. And you were north of a hundred at that point, by the way, was it a 7.2 X, uh, valuation a multiple on the, on ARR? I don't know the exact multiple, but we, we did fine. We were they, happy. They always, it's so funny when you look at the C deal, when you look at some of their other deals they've done it's for whatever reason, it's always a 7.2 X AR multiple. I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just as totally random and out of the blue.
1: <laughs> I actually hadn't, uh, hadn't heard that.
0: So let's, let's, I want to walk backwards here for a second. So what year did you launch the company in?
1: Uh, we founded the company
0: March 1st of 2005. Okay. 2005. And Take me up to 2015. Um, what were you doing right bef- in terms of revenue right before you decided to IPO?
1: Oh boy, uh, yeah, we were probably uh, in the uh, high 60s, 70s. You know, we were a small IPO uh, for for that uh, time period. And what did you raise on day one? Um, I think we raised about 60 million, and after all, the bankers got their money. And then well deserved. Uh, I think we took home maybe 50, 55 million, somewhere in that range.
0: Okay. And prior to that, had you raised capital? And if so, how much?
1: Oh, yeah. So we had raised uh, 86 million prior to uh, I founded the company in, uh, on 800 grand of angel money. And then we did an A round that year of uh, 4 million. And then just about every year in those early years, we were raising money. So we did raise four, then we raised eight, then we raised 12. Uh, and then the rounds got bigger a couple of years after that, but all in all, 86 million puts us on the low end these days. I mean, yeah. people are raising hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and they're no bigger than us. It's kind of surprising, a little bit scary. It is scary. There's a way, I mean, we've had these folks on the show that have raised 200,
0: 250 million. It's unbelievable. Way small, by the way, sometimes not even as big as you you were in 2015. So just to summarize, you launch in 05, you grow to about 60 million in 2015. Over that time period, you raise about 86 million bucks. You raise net after banker fees about 50 million on day one. Did you hit kind of the, the, the market cap you were expecting, the share price you were expecting on day one? And if so, how'd you manage that?
1: No, we didn't um you know we you know I really wanted a twelve dollar uh, uh coming out price, and you know which would have given you
0: what valuation what market cap
1: Oh gosh, I don't even remember the numbers okay. anymore, but um you know probably five hundred million something like that yeah. um, you know, I think if you've ever taken a company public, you know you're you're really beholden to the whims of what's happening. During that two-week period that you go public, and it wasn't the best week. We had—I I don't remember all the details—but you know, as we were flying around on the jet, you know, meeting all these people, uh, there was maybe you know seven or eight other IPOs at that during that same time frame, and I think three of them ended up pulling and not even going public. Wow! Uh, so it was so, a tough. So uh, what was your day frame. one share price. So we went out at eight bucks. Okay, not horrible though. No, no, yeah, and it was good. I mean, I think. You know, again, not having been through it, you know, and you're the CEO and this is your baby, you founded it. You know, there's a, I can remember having a moment there of like, Jesus, did I do the wrong thing here? But in hindsight, it was absolutely the right thing. It was great for our investors. Everybody, you know, bought in at eight, sold at pretty much 16. Uh, So everyone doubled their money. And uh, and What do you mean mean bought in at eight and sold at 16? That's what the share prices went up to? That's what we sold to Vista for. It's all public. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everyone did very well and I had a lot of really happy investors. And of course, the people that, you know, invested in the early rounds were buying at pennies, uh, relatively speaking. And so, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money and and it was a great, wonderful experience. So
0: 2015, you're now public, you're dealing, you know, your, your day-to-day looks way more administrative than it used to. 2016, you're growing. 2017, I imagine in 2016, maybe conversation with Vista started. Why? Decide to go private and explain the mechanics of that to me in terms of your shareholders and your board.
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons to go public, and you know, some of them are uh, good, and some of them maybe not so good. You know, I mean, I think for me it was a bucket list item as a a founder. I (laughs) wanted to do it, and nobody could talk me out of that. So, you know, many CEOs, uh, you know, I would talk to, would say, "Chris, are you sure you want to do this?" It's a nightmare. It's a pain in the ass. You know, you're going to be living and breathing on, on Wall Street. And, you know, I kind of didn't really li- I just tuned that out because uh, I just was convinced I wanted to do it. So that was a big part of it. The second big part of it was, um, you know, here in the Valley and doing all the VC rounds. And even though we hadn't raised tons and tons of money, we certainly had a pretty big overhang of, uh, of preference, you know, stock preference that the, that the VCs would get off the top of an acquisition and that always- Wait, that, that
0: sorry, did that carry through from your early
1: VCs pre IPO that carried through even when you were public? No, no, no. My point is the reason to go public was to eliminate that. Oh, got it. Because yes, everybody goes to common and we're all now on the same- No liquidation you know, preferences, no ratchet clauses, no, no, nothing. Everything goes away. And so to me, that was an, a very important thing uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I just personally, I just felt like it, I, I never liked the concept of preference- I always felt like it was an unfair, you know, sort of thing. And I wanted to level the playing field and have us all be common. And so those those were, you know, obviously primary reasons to go. Clearly raising the 55 million was a very important reason to go. And it helped us grow the company and build it. Um, and so anyway, those are the reasons to go public. The reasons to go private were more to do with, you know, uh, By the way, Chris, sorry,
0: how old were you when you when you took the company public?
1: Oh boy, I was 37 when I started it. Well, just uh, we're uh, fifty uh, one right now, so I was you know 47-ish. 49, 40, yeah, 49. 47, somewhere in that range. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, sorry, keep going. Reasons to go private.
1: Yeah. So you know what we were experienced as a public company, we were public for eight quarters. We made our numbers every quarter, uh, but it was tough. And you know, I mean, you're you're definitely focusing on a very quarterly cadence, and you know, everyone says that, we all know that, but I think what what was really evident to me was size matters as a public company and you know the bigger you are the more you can smooth out the bumps and the things that wall street doesn't behave well around is bumps and you're going to have bumps in every business and so this is where size becomes difficult and and we generally compete right now with SAP and IBM right yep. so we're competing with the big boys and you know that makes it difficult because we wanted to do some acquisitions, we wanted to grow in different parts of the of the world we wanted to come out with some new products. all of those things were very, very difficult to accomplish as a relatively small public company and I felt like you know we were kind of operating with one hand tied behind our backs and i and I thought you know when I met the Vista folks, it was almost too good to be true because it wasn't I wasn't selling the company right I was Really getting a whole new set of investors. I was still going to run the company. The management team that wanted to stay was, was, was going to stay. And, but it gave us kind of a rich uncle that was going to allow us to go do acquisitions and do these things. And in seven months, we've already done two acquisitions, um, which is precisely my point. We, 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 those would have been very difficult to do as a relatively small. Company. It'd be hard to
0: also explain those in public markets if they're longer term
1: acquisitions, right? That's right. I yeah. mean, it's just it's a whole different mode of thinking. Business not thinking quarter to quarter. They don't even want to talk to me. You know, when I talk, when I talk to them about how you're doing this quarter, everything is about building the foundation for the future yeah. and, and building the right type of company and uh, and that was music to my ears.
0: Folks, for those of you that want to learn how to go from good to great to totally unstoppable, listen up. Friday, September 28th, that's this month, through Sunday the 30th, I want you to invest in yourself and buy a ticket to Relentless MV, a -a one-of-a-kind exclusive event at Lambert's Cove Inn on Martha's Vineyard, where world-class motivators will help you gain the mental edge to push yourself to the next level and maximize your potential. SaaS founders, you know, we need this. It's a tough world. world around trainer Tim Grover retired. Hired Navy SEAL David Goggins. Tech entrepreneur and fear guru Patrick Sweeney and an elite lineup of performance experts will share how they've gained the mental edge that's taken them to the next level and bigger valuations. We also have a very special guest, Red Sox great and Hall of Fame pitcher Pedro Martinez, in case of any of you guys are into baseball. It's a great event to learn, become inspired, and to network with other A-player attendees. Both weekend and day passes are available, and here's the thing. I told the conference guys, you gotta be a great... A great deal. So they did. As a listener of the podcast, you get a special deal. Use promo code TOP. That's T O P to receive 500 bucks off. I love that. 500 back in your pocket. Visit relentlessmv.com for more information. Buy now. Limited tickets are available. You don't want to miss out when they sell out. How did it happen? Did they reach out
1: to you or were you reached out to them? Oh, you know, we had been talking and um first touch though yeah. first touch first, first touch was probably a year prior and then uh, didn't hear a thing uh from they, them. did they reach out to you like were they hunting they're looking for deal they reach out to you um you know i think we were introduced by a mutual uh, uh company and you know one thing i've learned about vista is these guys are super super sharp and they have tentacles everywhere and so there's not many deals that go down that that they don't know about. Yeah. And people would be stupid not to bring it to them, right? Because of the the kind of company they are. So um anyway, we had an initial conversation and I had I didn't know much about them. And as I learned more and more, uh became more and more interested. And then and then we got to running the company and doing our thing. And um Yeah, yeah so the deal actually yeah. came together very fast once we uh once we re engaged. I don't remember the exact time frames, but it was a matter of weeks really uh it came together. It's great. Yeah. It's great. And so you said you're doing over north of a hundred when you went private. Obviously that information
0: is public. We can just look at your last earnings call and the price I think was five sixty four, right? Essentially that's what they paid total. Yeah. So, so call it four or five, maybe six X multiple there. Now you mentioned you, one of the reasons you did this is to make acquisitions. Tell me quickly, cause we're running out of time, but quickly when you look at new acquisitions to make, what are you, what do you like to buy?
1: Well, we, we like to buy things that, are, that, that grow our footprint. So that are additive to the product base. And so, uh, the, the two that we've done, the first one was a line star, which was a territory management product, very complementary to the comp space, but something we didn't have. So it, it's great to be able to now take a new product like that and go sell it back into our 1400 customer install base, as well as give us something that's a competitive differentiator going forward. That's the first example. The second example was a company called Obero, a Canadian company that we bought last week, and, uh, they were doing a great job. They're kind of a competitor in the ICM space, but they really had done some. What's good ICM stuff stand for? Uh, incentive compensation management. So they were much more in our core business, but they have a product, uh, two products that we did not have. One was uh, something called ASC 606, which is a, um, you know, a standard that all these companies, public and private need to adopt in the next 12 months. And, uh, and so we really wanted that technology and they have sales planning technology, which really was something as an area that we don't have and currently didn't play in. And so those two things were definitely additive. They checked off the box to be able to sell back to our install base and to make us differentiated. So as we go to market with our competitors, we have something that's very different than anybody else.
0: Yeah. Last question before we wrap up with the famous five, those pro formas that you guys put together for, you know, the expansion revenue opportunities by cross selling those products generally have they panned out or a big, you know, way higher or way lower?
1: Uh well the first the second one just happened last week so it's way too early to tell. The first one uh it's been about 7 months we, we acquired them this the week after we got acquired and uh it's been fantastic. It's been it's far exceeded our expectations. Higher ARPU's, more more
0: wallet share per of your 1200 logos all that, right? All that. Yeah, yep. good stuff. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five number one. Chris, what was the last business book that you read?
1: Um well, it's not the last one, but my favorite business book is uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I really believe in the whole tipping point concept. I know he wrote a tipping point book, too, but I like Outliers the best. And I believe our market has yet to hit a tipping point. So I, d- I just love all that data-driven uh, stuff that he does and that he talks about. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, you know, I look to a couple different CEOs when I think about that uh, question. I, I, You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Benioff's. I, I love what he's done around philanthropy. Uh, we, as a company, adopted the 111 Pledge that he created right from the get-go. So we put 1% of our founding shares into a uh, uh, 501c3. So we have now a pretty big 501c3. So I, I, I definitely give him kudos for that. I, I'm, I'm incredibly uh, amazed by Elon Musk. I think you know what I take from him is he inspires me to think just enormous, like way bigger than I, I, I'm nowhere near doing it the way he does it, but it's certainly <laughs> inspirational. And so those two guys uh, are, are people I follow. Yeah. Was
0: Benny off in the bidding process when you decided to go to, you know, go to Vista? And if so, why didn't you sell to Salesforce?
1: Uh, we can't, obviously I was, t- I can't talk about that, but uh, we're very, very close to, to Salesforce. They were an investor in the company early. If you read my book on Amazon, Game the Plan, you can read how they were really the people that caused me to leave my previous company to start this company. And Salesforce was our very first customer and is today our longest uh, standing customer. That's great. All right. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Favorite online tool. Um, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we're, they're a great customer of ours and, uh, you know, we use it extensively throughout the company. Number four, Chris, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? These days, I sleep pretty well. Um, uh, You know, that hasn't always been the case. I'm a big-time early riser, so it doesn't really matter what time I go to bed. I'm up at 5 a.m. How many hours do you get usually, though? I usually get between 6 and 7. Okay, that's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? I do. I've been married twenty, going on 28 years. Oh, wow. My beautiful bride, Marla, and I have two kids. Uh, uh, My daughter works at a – Alexa works at a – this a company called Navex. She's in sales. Oh, cool! Graduated from USC, and I've got a son, Cole, who is a junior uh, at in Boulder. Very good. And how old are you, Chris? How old am I? Fifty-one. Fifty-one. All right. Last question: What do you wish your twenty-year-old self knew? You know, um, if I could go back and talk to myself, you know, when I was twenty, I would, I would, I would tell him just stay the course because I'm pretty happy with the way things turned out. I'd probably tell him, obviously, to uh, to buy Apple. Uh, but I think probably if anything, you know, I would tell him to spend more time with my parents. I lost my father about five years ago and, uh, you know, that was unexpected. And I think, you know, you can't spend enough time with your, with your parents as they get older. He would have spent more time with his parents, but generally stayed
0: the course. Launched exactly back in 2005, they've now scaled up to over 1,400 customers, using them to manage sales plans, to kind of gamify the solution for reps so that they understand what all the upside is and really keep them motivated. You know, more people hit their quotas, I imagine, if they're using exactly than if they're not. They have about 400 reps on average per 1,400 of those logos, so doing, call it somewhere in the $16 million per month range because each seat is about thirty million. He grew it up to 2015 and about up to about 100 million bucks in annual sales before and raised about 86 million prior to that. Then took it public, raised about 50. Net million on day one, $8 share price. Grew it for two years and then realized there were serious advantages to being private. Reignited a conversation with Vista, and I'm sure some other folks as well, ultimately sold the Vista at a great exit price of 16 bucks per share, $560 million. Uh, doing, again, north of $100 million at that point. So healthy exit now focused on acquisitions, a longer-term plan, and staying focused on growing the business. Chris, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks
1: very much. Good to talk to you.